The Inclusion Day is a 90-day learning experience that we offer. What's been found through research is that the sort of discussion of systemic racism or a one-time event that talks about inclusion and equity does not make a change within a workplace. It can be exciting, it can offer ideas and stories, but really having inclusion and equity as part of your default status, that's a habit that people have. And so the Inclusion Project is a 90-day program where you have small behaviors every day to help you learn these new habits. It's essentially trying to change the mold like for so many of us, it's difficult to keep our New Year's resolutions. We have big plans and then it's hard to keep up. But if it's a small daily activity, that helps you change your behaviors and change your ways of thinking. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Meredith Gibson. She is CEO of the Association for Women in Science, or AWIS. Meredith, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here, Joanna. Meredith, tell us about AWIS. AWIS's mission is to ensure that all women in science can achieve their full potential. And we work across all disciplines and all employment sectors. We currently have over 6,500 members and about 30 chapters throughout the U.S. Meredith, tell us about your members. Are they professionals? Are they PhDs? Are they academics? Are they students? Are they all of the above? Like, how does one become a member of AWIS and why does one decide to join? All of the above is the answer, including what I think is a great story. Originally, AWIS was the Association of Women in Science when we started in the 70s. And in the 80s, the name was changed to for women in science. So we have scientists, we have non-scientists, we have men, we have non-binary, we have women. Everyone is welcome as long as your goal is also to support full participation in the scientific workforce. So most of our members, about 55% are academics. That's either professors or students. 25% is industry with the remaining in NGOs non-governmental associations, or governmental positions. Wow. So, Meredith, there are only about, I don't know, a jillion organizations devoted to supporting and encouraging women and girls in the STEM fields in science. What's your specific niche? We work with women who are in the university setting all the way through senior career. We call it sometimes the bench to the boardroom. And we try to help them take each step along their career pathway. 
our chapters do a lot of work in the K-12 space to encourage younger women to go into scientific work. But what we focus on in our area is their higher education to their final career spot. Wow. Well, we're going to talk about the things that AWIS is doing to thrive and thriving you are from our prep conversation, I learned. But let's first talk about your journey. So how did you get to become CEO of AWIS? Well, going back to the very beginning, it seems, after I finished college, I got a job in a corporation doing events and planning and weddings. And it was a great job and I learned a lot. But I had three takeaways through that. One of them was I was encouraged through bonuses to deliver higher revenue. Frequently, that meant working late and missing my social, personal life and activities. While I knew, because it was a small enough corporation, the leaders were spending time at their ski house in one of my favorite ski resorts. Ah. And I thought, hmm, I have enough. Do I really want to miss a soccer game? And the answer was no. Pretty quickly, I determined that what was going to motivate me was a mission. And so while this is my professional life, I had the great experience and opportunity once I moved out of corporates into nonprofit work to ensure that I was always able to pick a mission that I was passionate about. And that allows me to think, "Mm, I can miss this soccer game so I can make sure this project is tight for the people we're serving. Meredith, how did you come to that realization? Because what I find with the guests on my show is that they kind of stumbled into nonprofits and associations. So how'd you get to be so lucky that you found an association or a nonprofit? The first nonprofit I worked for, the American Lung Association of Washington, I had a job where I was organizing sporting events and bicycle rides and mountain climbs to help fundraise. So it was all the activities I liked with the outcomes of knowing there was an impacted population. For example, most people are addicted to cigarettes before they turn 18. Oh. So if we can keep students from starting to smoke, they have different health outcomes later in their life. So knowing that the activities I enjoyed doing with people I enjoyed doing had a very clear impact on people's long-term health made a large difference in my personal motivation to take those positions. Interesting. So tell us about the journey to get to AWIS, because you've been there 15 years. Yes, over 15 years now. I moved to Washington, D.C. late in December and thought, oh, I'll attempt for a few weeks and then I'll start my real job search in January. And AWIS was the second place I attempt at. I was moved by the mission, and I've always been an advocate for gender equity and for opportunities for underrepresented people in any walks of life. And I loved that the AWISH mission wants to help people achieve their full potential. I'm not going to define what your full potential is. No one else can define your full potential. Let's open the door so you can reach it. So I started at AWIS as a program manager right before the winter holidays. And 15 years later, I've had a variety of different positions in the organization and I'm CEO. So when did you become CEO? January of 2022, I started. Wow. Okay, so tell us about that. So you became CEO during the pandemic. And before that, you'd had many positions. 
So what's that like to transition into the role of CEO when you knew the organization pretty well, but you weren't the CEO? That's a fascinating question that I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. Because it turns out, I might have thought I knew what was going on before I started. <laughs> because I have been in many leadership and operational, I was in a C-suite role. And so I thought I had a good picture of it. But the change in perspective that I went through as I thought about more windows into the room, as it were, I was thinking about it in a different way. And that has been a wonderful opportunity to engage more closely with board members and board leadership. It has been a wonderful opportunity to speak about different things with the leadership staff. We're a small organization, five staff members. So everyone is a leader in some manner, regardless of their position with the organization, because they each have a specialty that someone else doesn't. So transitioning has been a great learning experience for me, and I've been able to reach out to wonderful colleagues and a variety of different supports to learn the skills and get a little bit better every day. Meredith, are there some specific pieces of advice that you would give to someone who's about to embark on their first CEO journey? I would say that when we're in school, we think a lot about learning. And when we start a new sport, we take a ski lesson, or if we want to learn how to knit, you might take a class from someone. Sometimes when, as your career gets farther, you think, where am I going to learn? Or you forget that you still need to learn. So whether it's finding a coach that might help you, mm. or it's colleagues with different experiences that you can learn from, think about your learning journey and how that supports where you want to be as a leader. In one of my first jobs, I had a, she wasn't my boss because I was entry level. She was at the top of the organization. She said, I'm an authoritarian leader. Oh. And I thought, <laughs> thanks for being clear. That's a style. It's not for me. I'll be looking for other work. <laughs> but it helped me decide that's not who I want to be. And so not only thinking about where you want to continue learning, but thinking what kind of leader you want to be and how that shows up in the workplace, especially when you're an internal hire. There's another level of we were peers. Yes. And now are you making a decision on my budget or some other thing that you have to redefine some of those relationships? So how do you manage that transition when you were peers before, but now you're the boss. Any pieces of advice there? Because that does happen to a lot of association execs. Mm -hmm. I tried to be as transparent as possible and also as clear as possible. There was one other person who had senior leadership experience. And in a private one-on-one -on -one meeting with her, I said, were you interested in this position? Ah. If so, what are the skills that we need? I would like to keep you here forever. But if you want to grow into this position, what are the skills you need and how do we get them for you so you can find that job at the place you want to be? And at the end of the day, she has said, at least at this point, she is uninterested in the human resources aspect. She wants to maintain her expertise in the communications aspect. And that's great. So my advice is to be 
clear and just ask the question. Boy, how wonderful that you were able to be candid with her. And if she said, look, I really want to become an, an association CEO, the offer to help is very generous. And in the meantime, until she leaves, you've got some high-performing person who wants to become a CEO. That's a gift, actually. And since she didn't want to be CEO, then now you know kind of how she wants to support you. So either way, you win. That's how I feel about it and most comfortable with it. The conversation might have gone sideways, too. So, (laughs) You know, I'm not sure I agree. I think just the fact that you were being candid with her and asking maybe what might have seemed like an uncomfortable question, but ended up being probably a very productive conversation and she probably felt really cared for. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I I do think that it set us up for more success and it allowed the sort of, as Brene Brown says, the story I tell myself didn't ferment. I didn't sit around and say, oh, she wanted my job. And she didn't sit around and say, oh, I could have had that job. Ah. That was all washed away. Wow. Amazing. Hey, let's turn to AWIS. You've been CEO for two years. Before that, I guess in 2018, during the prep, you said that AWIS went through a little bit of a transformation where you changed the focus a little bit. So what was the focus before and what did the focus become? Well, we've always been a membership organization. For some years, we had a number of national grants, too, from funding agencies. And so because staff time is limited and resources are limited, it split our focus a lot. So in 2018, we sort of recommitted to members. And that has expanded, actually, to be recommitted to relationships, Mm. relationships between staff and board, relationships between the chapters and our members and chapters and national. So we've really focused on each other. And that has spurred incredible growth and connection. Of course, 2020 hit with COVID and many people were looking for connection with people. And one of the things we hear from our members, especially as they grow in their careers, is that they sometimes feel lonely in their positions. Ah. They don't have a professional network or one that they feel safe within, depending on what kind of workplace they're in. And so AWIS provides that. So knowing we provide that for them and then providing it for each other and those relationships being a focus has been a great launching pad for us. Well, so you've got this focus on membership, but you also have a focus on public education. So what does that look like? We want to ensure that the information is available for anyone who's looking about the important role that women play within the scientific workforce. These days, depending on the major, more women are graduating with degrees in certain scientific fields. Now, we'd like there to be parity all the way along, but... Until then, we want to make sure that the role models and the information is out there. So we have one area on our website where we have a database of historical women in science that you can search by their discipline or their ethnicity, because there are many women who have diverse backgrounds who have made real contributions. We want that known and accessible to folks. Also, in the summer, we run a campaign called the Summer of Science, where we highlight our members the science that they're doing, and how that impacts the world. 
for folks that don't think about science that much, you sometimes forget how even the sugar melting in your coffee in the morning is part of science and the importance it plays in our world. Wow, that's amazing. Well, in addition to this public education, you know, I read on the website that you also do advocacy work. So what issues do you advocate on? We advocate on things that fall between gender and science. So the nexus in there. Oh. Sometimes we support DEI curriculum. We support Title IX activities and expansion of those rights and responsibilities. We advocate to have less sexual harassment in the workforce, less bullying in the workforce to ensure that there are supports so women can fight against any bias that they may face, whether it's in the hiring process, it's in the promotion process. One of the pieces of advice that we had recently on one of our webinars, the question was, how do you know if things are equitable within that workplace? Oh, And the advice that was provided by our speaker, she said, when you're asking the questions at the end of the interview, if there's some housekeeping task, like, you know, bringing the coffee to the Monday morning meeting, say, oh, do you have a sign-up list for that? And if the response is, oh, so-and-so always does it, you know that they are not looking at those small responsibilities and passing them out equitably, that the housekeeping chores are falling to maybe a few, maybe one person. And that's likely not where you want to be. Ah, interesting. I remember my first job out of college, we would have board meetings and who served the coffee was a political thing. And I remember I had a coworker who said to the director of development, Andrew, and it was mostly women in the organization, but this woman said, Andrew, we think you should serve the coffee because they'll never mistake you for an admin. Mm -hmm. I remember this woman, Barbara, she said, if I serve the coffee, they'll think I'm an admin and they won't treat me with the level of respect that I think I'm due as a director. And God bless him. He said, you're absolutely right. And so we had the director of development serving the coffee. That's a great conversation and a great workplace to be in that she could bring that forward. Yes. Because it is compounded for women of color. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've got something called your Inclusion Habit Experiential Learning Program that I think, you know, tell us about this. This is meant to really kind of identify and address those habits. It is. Thank you. The Inclusion Day is a 90-day learning experience that we offer What's been found through research is that the sort of discussion of systemic racism or a one-time event that talks about inclusion and equity does not make a change within a workplace. It can be exciting. It can offer ideas and stories. But really, having inclusion and equity as part of your default status, that's a habit that people have. And so the Inclusion Project is a 90-day program where you have small behaviors every day to help you learn these new habits. It's essentially trying to change the mold. Like for so many of us, it's difficult to keep our New Year's resolutions. We have big plans and then it's hard to keep up. But if it's a small daily activity, that helps you change your behaviors and change your ways of thinking. I got a couple questions here. So one, this is a program that you offer for the members, for corporations, 
for corporations. Okay. We work with a woman named Dr. Amanda Felty, and this is her program. And it is open to corporations who would like to purchase it and offer it to their employees. And so give us examples of these daily habits that over the course of 90 days, if you keep doing, hopefully will improve the inclusion environment in your organization. Sometimes there are ideas like today, think about if you were a person who was less able-bodied and say you live in Washington, D.C. and you take the metro to work. That means that you need to find the elevator to go down and come up every time you go through your commute process. If you've never had that experience, you may not realize the elevator's already on the other end of the metro platform. It might not be as comfortable as the escalator that you're used to. So it can be small activities like that to open your perspective to someone else's journey through life. Ah. Or it can be practices to try to help you think more slowly about a conversation or a response you might have to a person to help you refine how you respond to them or the conversation that you're having. Boy, this sounds amazing, Meredith. Let's be sure to include a link in the show notes to this program in case some of my listeners say, wow, this is something that I'm interested in for my organization or for some of my members. That would be terrific. One of the nice things about this program for corporations or organizations is that the people who join it, we organize them into cohorts. So say they're second level managers across an organization. If there's something that they need to work on where they have noticed through their data that, oh, yes, we always have a large pool of women who are applying and get first interviews, but they never get second interviews or they don't make it through. Ah. What's going on here? And so we, we can work on a specific area if the corporation wants us to. And part of this program is sort of publicly engaging. Today, I'm going to do this. And so to make a promise to your colleagues and to yourself, which also helps you then make that behavioral change as opposed to just thinking of it on your own and thinking, I'll make that change. Man, I love this. So the program really helps the corporations really identify maybe some of the habits and some of the practices and unconscious bias that they have and then address them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Hey, let's turn to something different. Tell us about membership. How's membership? Membership is going very well. Yay. Oh, isn't it funny how you think, well, gosh, I should have known that so long ago. Why did it take so long? Here's the conversation we had. We were noticing that we have this terrific content and part of our corporate sponsor package is a certain amount of memberships for the employees of that corporation or that institution. Okay, so let me make sure I understand this. So like if Matrix Group is a sponsor, you might say, and five of your staff become members and can access these resources. Exactly. So we call them slots. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Full members, totally full access to all of our content. And what we found was that very few corporations were actually having people sign up and join the association. And we were disappointed. We think this is great content. There's a lot of professional development, leadership skills training here. And then the corporation would see, this is really good. We want to keep being involved with this group. It happens over an entire year. So it's not one and done. 
And we just thought, why aren't we matching here? It turns out that in conversation, we discovered that the person who either authorized the partnership or was managing the partnership, they didn't know who to choose. Ah. Who would want to be involved with the association? Who could use the professional development? It was Sophie's choice. How do I pick the two or three or five out of, you know, 20, 30, 100? Exactly. So what we do now is during the first year, it's free open membership for anyone they want. So they offer it to their ERG group. They offer it. We have men who are members who listen to the webinars, and I hope they sort of take away a new perspective that they may not have known and maybe some skills for themselves. So the opening it up has changed our membership numbers and our engagement with those corporations. Amazing. And actually, interestingly enough, we just were speaking with someone who said, we'd like to do a little more. They were going to pull some money out of their education department. They said, we provide you know, education to our staff and you are providing education to our staff. Here we go. Let's do a little bit more now. Wow. That's amazing. So aside from sponsorship dollars that they were using to sponsor AWIS, they're now giving you education dollars because you're educating their team members. Yes. Oh my God, you just unlocked a whole lot of magic when it comes to corporate sponsorships. Nice job. I have to tell you, I'm very proud of my team because that was transformative in how we developed this. It's also scalable for us. If we had a huge one-day event where there's lots of people on the podium, those are conversations and they feel wonderful. But again, it's one and done. Mm. And we can only have so many people in the room and there are catering and wine costs. Now we have the content that we have and we're getting it to more people and they're sharing it and the key takeaways with their teams. So there's a beautiful synergy there that's helping the association grow and make more of a difference. Meredith, how did you even figure this out? What data were you looking at that told you that corporate sponsors weren't engaging at the level you wanted them to? Well, I love data and I love to find the metric. But one of the hard things is as we began that journey as an association is what are the metrics that tell us information where we can change our work or our behavior to get an outcome? Sometimes they're a little bit vanity or, or they're the easy metrics. So trying to really dig in to find information that points to a pathway or a change. So just by looking at the numbers and saying when we do an annual wrap-up or a quarterly wrap-up, why aren't these numbers there? Like, change the marketing flyer headline. No, that didn't change the answer. Remind the person who's coordinating it more often. Hey, don't forget to invite people to do this. No, that didn't help. So as you try different strategies, it finally came down to sort of a transparent conversation. You guys aren't using this aspect of the partnership. Can you tell us why? Mm. And the first person who said it was a little bit, she's like, I just don't know who should have it. Uh, you know, is it a leader already or is it someone who's going to be a leader? Or how do I know which of the staff people are going to be more go get them and would use it better? You're like, oh, well, let's open it up. And after a year, we can tell you. 
the most go-getters in your group. We're lucky our software has an engagement score for the people and we can say, hey, the most go-getters in your group were people who lived and worked at this headquarters and they're at this level of their career and the things they were interested in are how to make it to the next step, how to have a better mentoring relationship. That's the content they consumed. So it gives the person who is making the decision on behalf of the corporation a little bit more information from an outside source about the people that they're working with. Meredith, I'm struck by how your leadership style really involves conversation. Conversation with the staff when you came on board, conversations on an ongoing basis with the board and the staff about what makes them tick and what interests them so that they can help the organization thrive, and then conversations with the sponsors about how to engage them better. So it sounds like that's your superpower is conversations and being able to kind of ferret out these insights. Some people might say I like to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Meredith, you and I can talk forever but we got to wrap this up. I am so grateful that you agreed to be on the show. Thank you for sharing your insights. I hope you'll come back and tell us about all the new and amazing things you're doing and all the growth that you're experiencing. Thank you so much, Joanna. It's been a pleasure to be here. And I love listening to your podcast and learning something from other association execs out there. So thanks for providing this for us all. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye.